his famous Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be looking at the last three, excuse me, last two Beatitudes. But I'm going to go ahead and read this whole section on the Beatitudes and then we'll talk on that. This is Matthew 5, 1 through 11. The sermon text can be found in the insert of your bulletin. <laughs> Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And here's the text we're going to look at today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we enter into Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday, which if you uh, look back upon the scriptures, marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it's called Palm Sunday because when Christ entered into Jerusalem, sitting on, on a donkey, the people took palm branches and they waved them, saying, Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of them actually took their cloaks and they spread them before Jesus to recognize his kinship, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the son of David. And so for the Christian, this is a very exciting week. It's filled with joy as we think of Christ and his progression into Jerusalem. But it's also filled with sadness. For we know that at the end of this week, Christ will be crucified on the cross. And so we have Good Friday. Some people celebrate Ash Wednesday when they literally put ashes on their forehead as a sign of mourning for this uh, death that is to come. So it's a time of joy and a time of sadness. You know, even back then, for the people that were experiencing it, it was a time of confusion. Because here they are lauding Jesus, this one who has come in, the one who they thought was going to free them from the chains of Roman oppression. And so they're celebrating Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus comes and he looks at Jerusalem. And it says that when he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. See, we see in this picture of Jesus coming, one who comes to bring peace, and yet one who received war. You know, it's interesting, these people who are shouting, Hosanna in the highest, some of them at the end of the week will be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so surrounding this person of Jesus is peace and also violence. It's interesting that the disciples that came after Jesus, all of them were martyred. Except for one, John, who was literally boiled in oil. And when that didn't kill him, they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And throughout history, there have been martyrs, those who have come preaching the message of peace in Christ and receiving violence in return. In fact, believers all around the world, the last century was the greatest century for persecution of Christians. 
In fact, in the last century, more people were killed for Christ than the previous 19 centuries combined. We have to ask this question, how is it that a message that says to love your enemies and a Christ who says, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, as he hangs on the cross, can bring so much violence. We hear this in the message of Christ who said, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father. You see, in our, in our world today, this, this message, this war continues. And so what are we to do with this message of peace? For along comes Jesus in his Beatitudes and he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. We understand in Jesus' message that he came to bring peace, but not on earth. He came to bring peace in the hearts of all who would trust him. And Jesus has given us a message of bringing this peace of Christ into the world as well. But you see, there is a caveat. For if we embrace Jesus' message to bring peace to the world, we too will experience war, just as he did. And so the three things that I want to talk about in this passage, the three things that the, these Beatitudes teach us are this. Number one, we are called to embrace his peace in our hearts. Then number two, we are called to take his peace and bring it to the world. And then finally, number three, we are called to endure war in this world as well. Because if we embrace Jesus' message to bring peace to the world, we too will experience war just as he did. Well, let's look at these three points. Number one, we are called to embrace his peace. Verse 9 tells us, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is quite a bold statement when you think about it, isn't it? To be called a son of God. In fact, we know that's what Jesus' title was, not it? Sons of God. Why do peacemakers receive this title? To understand that, we have to understand Jesus' mission. For if we really pinpoint what's wrong with this world... You know, everyone would say, hey, there's something wrong with this world. If we can put our hand on it, the reason that there's something wrong with this world is that there is no peace. Think of the word peace, the Hebrew rendering of it, shalom, which means harmony. It means harmony with God, harmony with our environment, and harmony with those around us. But as we look at the world, we don't see peace. On a global scale, the UN tells us that there are currently 135 wars around the world that are taking place. When you think about it, what would prompt one country to take hundreds of thousands, even millions of its young people, to go die on a battlefield against another country? Where does this anger and rage and misunderstanding come from? But let's go from the country level, let's go to relationships. Think about it, you've experienced it. War between brothers and sisters, mothers and daughters, their own blood, flesh and kind. What, would it what, what could possibly cause a brother and a sister not to talk to each other even for years and years over some conflict? Let's go even deeper, let's go to marriages. 
You know, as a pastor, I get the privilege of marrying people and seeing them walk up before a bunch of people and literally say, we love each other so much that we want to be joined together forever. What could cause such a, such a conflict in this marriage that these two people who at one time said this to say, I don't want to see you anymore? The book of James puts it this way, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. See, the problem, my friends, of there being no peace, is the problem is within us. That ultimately we don't have peace within ourselves. Most people don't have peace. Overwhelmed with anxiety and fear and unrest. And so we try to drown out these problems with our video games and our iTunes and our workaholism and our addictions. But they can't solve the problem. Because ultimately the problem, when we boil it all the way down from countries to ourselves, is this, that we have no peace with God. We have no peace with God. And so we can't fix this problem from without. Remember the League of Nations? Woodrow Wilson? The UN? If we can just get everyone together on the same page, we can have peace. No, the best we can come up with is a truce, but certainly not peace. And so we understand Jesus' mission was to bring peace in this world. You see, he's called the Prince of Peace. He was the one who was called to make peace in this critical relationship between us and God. How could Christ do that? Because He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. The only one that is able to bring us together and to bring shalom in that relationship. Hear these words from Ephesians 2.12, speaking of Christ reconciling us to each other and to God. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. See, Christ is the one who says, even though you were far away, I'm going to come near. I'm not only going to give you peace, I'm going to be peace for you. I'm going to destroy the wall of hostility between God and you by abolishing these commandments that you cannot fulfill. And in doing so, I'm going to abolish the wall of hostility between one another. Galatians 3.26 says it this way, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Now what's he saying? He's not saying that I'm here to abolish the distinctions between you. A man remains a man, a woman remains a woman. His job is not to bring uniformity, but rather unity. And so blessed are the peacemakers. Because to be a peacemaker in this world is to bring a Christ bringer. The only thing that can bring peace in the hearts of men is Christ. But you can't bring what you don't have. If you have Christ, what you have radically alters your heart, your relationship with God, and your relationship with others. Reminds me of a man named Bill Milliken. Bill was a Young Life Area Director in New York City in the 1960s. And Bill, who was a white suburban guy, had a heart for reaching the young black community in Harlem and Manhattan. And so he walked across the bridge one day and he met a guy named Bo Nixon. I know the story because Bo is my friend. At the time, Bo was one of the leader was the leader of one of the largest street gangs in downtown Manhattan. But Bill was not deterred either by the color of his skin or by the violence of the man before him. And he built a relationship with him on the basketball court, hanging out on the street corner. And as Bill labored diligently to share with Bo and his gang members the power of God's love, his consistency paid off. Because Bo heard this message and he came to faith in Christ and his life was radically transformed. See, all of Bo's leadership abilities and his power for destructive mayhem was turned into a desire for peace. And for the last 38 years, Bo has been walking the streets of New York City, reaching out to kids just like himself, bringing the message of the peace that comes with the gospel of Christ. See, you can't bring what you don't have. If you don't have Christ, and there may be some of us in this room who don't yet, how can you know peace if you have not had that reconciliation with God? Only Christ can bring that. But maybe you are a Christian and you are not experiencing peace. Keep in mind that there is no peace on the outside of the world. Jesus himself says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. How can we have peace if we have the Prince of Peace? The answer is in this verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. See, to experience Christ's peace, we must experience His rule in our hearts. See, there's some areas of our life where Jesus Christ is not the King. See, you may have Christ, but does Christ have you? So right now, Christ who has come into your life, if you are a Christian, is busy and in the process of taking ground in all areas of your heart. And He wants you and I to participate in this by embracing His truth and bringing it to every aspect of your life until it is under the Lordship of Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 31, that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he spoke about his word, his word that has the ability to bring peace in our hearts. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do 
everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so we must put Christ on the throne of every aspect of our life. Think of your own life and ask yourself the question, what needs to be subdued? Maybe it's your work. You know, Carlos, you don't understand my job and the things that I have to do in order to fulfill my quota and the responsibilities and the things I have to do to get along with my workers. I can't bring Christ and His rule into my workplace, but Christ wants His peace to rule in that place as well. What about in my relationships, whether it's with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something else? You, you don't understand. I, don't, I can't bring that into it. If you want to know the peace of Christ, He must rule in every aspect of your life. And so you must pray to Christ for the strength to do so. For He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, before we can bring peace to the world, we are called to embrace Christ's peace in all of our life. This brings me to my second point, that we are called to take His peace into the world, to be peacemakers. You know, Jesus said something very interesting in John 14 that I've wrestled with. He was talking to His disciples. He was going to go to the cross and then up to heaven. And He said, do you believe, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father who is living in me who is doing this work. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. How is it possible that we can do greater things than Jesus Christ? I mean, think about it. This guy, he healed the sick. He transformed people. He healed lepers. He raised people from the dead. How can we do even greater things than this? Because the transformation of a person's life, their soul from being an enemy of God to being a son or daughter of God, is something that God has given us the ability to do by bringing the message of the gospel to them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, we have Christ, and if we have Him, we have His Spirit, and we have His message. And so Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and all Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we know that therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against Him. And He has committed to us, to you and to me, this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making His appeal through us. And so we implore the world on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. See, the truth of the matter, my friends, is that all of us, if you are a Christian, has a ministry. Many of us think of our ministry as we 
serve in the choir, or we serve on the band, or the sound team, or nursery. Or, no, no, that's all a secondary ministry. Our primary ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. As though God was making his appeal through you and me to the world, bringing peace in the hearts of men. Think about how you came to faith. Wasn't it because somebody took the time to come to you and to share this message of reconciliation? I think of the people that came to me as I was an 18-year-old in high school and changed the trajectory of my life by giving me the gospel. What power. Think of all the people that have been changed through the life of Bo Nixon because Bill Milliken walked across the street into Manhattan. So he's given us this message of reconciliation, but the question we have to ask ourselves is 2,000 years later, as this message has gone out, why does it not overrun the world? Why are there still 135 wars going on around the world? The reason is this, because the message of Christ is incompatible with the message of the world. Remember, this sermon series is called Kingdom Life in a Fallen World. The sermon that Jesus is delivering is how to live this kingdom life in a world that is fallen. And so, we have to understand that this world will not accept Christ because that demands having a new king. You can only have peace when Jesus is on the throne. And there is a prince in this world, isn't there? His name is Satan. And the world will not bow to Christ. And so, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, I want to say one or two things. Notice it does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted. Okay, you can be a Christian and do very dumb things and receive, rightly so, anger and frustration from the world. It's not saying that. It's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What does this mean? This righteousness' sake means one who lives like Christ, embracing his life and embracing his mission. For theirs is the kingdom of God. You notice in the sermon text, at the beginning it says theirs is the kingdom of God, the first beatitude, and at the end it says theirs is the kingdom of God. See that transformation from the beginning? Those who were poor in spirit, who hungered for Christ, who received Him, who have gone out in the world taking His message. Those are who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. So blessed are those who are persecuted. Because your life is so identified with the kingdom that it is as if the message of Christ is going through you. And if it is, my friends, you will receive persecution just like Jesus did. It's interesting how people responded to Jesus, isn't it? You know, front end of the week, Hosanna to he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then crucify him, crucify him. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to bring peace, but division. This is what Jesus said in John 3.19. This is the verdict. Light, light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of me, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. See, Jesus is like a flashlight. It comes and shines the reality of men's hearts. And some men and women are cut to the heart and embrace Christ, and others hate Christ for it. In fact, uh, Paul said, Thanks be to God who leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. For one, we are the fragrance of life, but to others, we are the stench of death. One message, two responses. Saw this message, uh, this uh, story come along, uh, along a newspaper recently. Former student in a high school in Southern California recently filed a lawsuit against the school district after having been suspended for sharing his faith. About a year ago, Kenneth Dominguez, 19, uh, 16, was disciplined by Gateway East High School and was prevented from bringing his Bible to campus. The lawsuit was filed after Grossmont Union High School District refused to acknowledge any wrongdoing. It's said that uh, Dominguez came to faith during Christmas break in the 2009-2010 school year. When he returned to school, he began to tell his peers about his faith. He was on fire and excited about his faith, sharing what happened to him. But his grace came, uh, sharing came to a halt when an administrator reprimanded him. The school told Dominguez that he was not allowed to share his faith because of the separation of church and state. According to his attorney, Dominguez had not created any disruption when he was testifying. He didn't shout or preach out loud and limited his talk to lunch breaks and the hallways and not the classroom. Additionally, there was no record of any student or anyone complaining. After being warned by the administrator, Dominguez continued to discuss his faith and bring his Bible to school. He was then told he could not bring his Bible to campus either and received a two-day suspension. This incident does not come as a surprise to the attorneys who are fighting for him. Among the 4,000 requests for legal assistance, many dealt with public school religious freedom issues. See, Dominguez experienced the grace of Christ, and he wanted to take that grace into his school with his friends, and he received persecution because of it. The question I have for you and for me is this, are you experiencing any persecution? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's the way it was from Abel to Noah to David to Jesus to Martin Luther to the Puritans to Chinese pastors to Kenneth Dominguez in California. And so we must hear this beatitude and we must examine our life. We may have Jesus, but does Jesus have us? Because persecution is the marker of righteousness. See, if we're not experiencing persecution, we have to ask ourselves the question, maybe we're too much like the world. One of my greatest worries for the church today is we have such a desire to be accepted in the world that maybe we've watered down this message 
You know, we kind of want to be like a glorified Lions Club or something like that. Now, I don't have anything against the Lions Club, but this is the church of God. Maybe our desire to be so well-liked by the world has stopped us from communicating this message of life. And so you and I in this church were meant to be an aroma. So do we smell? Is there anything coming off of us? We must take this aroma of Christ into our work, into our social relationships. But if we have set up a design of a cocoon so we don't have to engage with anyone in the world, we have to ask the question, has the message of Christ really gotten a hold of our own hearts? For if we embrace Jesus' message to bring peace into this world, we will experience war just as he did. Well, let me finish with this final point that we are called to endure war in this world. This passage finishes with a postscript. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's basically saying, look, when your friends reject you, when the world turns on you, when the world hates you, rejoice and be glad. What a great reason to be happy, huh? What a great reason to celebrate. It doesn't make any sense. What's he talking about? The only way this can make sense is that if we're living by a different value system than the world, where our desire is more for him to be lifted up than ourselves. You know, we live in a world where popularity is everything, right? Desire to be accepted. Desire to be somebody. But we must embrace that role much like John the Baptist did. Remember John the Baptist, the one who came to proclaim Christ and Christ comes along? His disciples came to John the Baptist and, and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, whom you bore witness to, look, he is baptizing and, the, and people are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from above. You yourself heard me bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, and I must decrease. See, when we get to this point, when we can rejoice, when the world throws at us the anger of Christ, we're done with ourselves. Our desire is for Christ to be lifted up, much like the prophets. But here is something very powerful, and I want to leave with this thought because it's important. Because he says that great is your reward in heaven. This word reward, mythos, in the Greek is actually wages. Money that you receive for your work. You mean there are wages in heaven? It's very interesting that there are actually different rewards in heaven. What am I talking about? Listen to some of these quotes from some of these saints. Here's Jonathan Edwards, pretty smart guy. There are many mansions in God's house because heaven is intended for various degrees of honor and blessedness. Some are designed to sit in higher places there than others. 
Some are designed to be advanced to higher degrees of honor and glory than others are. And therefore, there are various mansions. And some more honorable mansions and seats in heaven than others. Though they are all seats of exceeding honor and blessedness. Yet some more so than others. Listen to R.C. Sproul. There are degrees of reward that are given in heaven. I'm surprised that this answer surprises so many people. I think there's a reason Christians are shocked when I say there are various levels of heaven, as well as graduations of severity, of punishment, and hell. What am I talking about here? What I'm talking about is that our life matters. Our life counts. And so we are accountable for every moment. The best verse, if you want to look about this, deals with 1 Corinthians 3.10, where ta Paul talks about the foundation that he's laying in believer's life. But he, so he says, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if ever anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, meaning the foundation of Christ, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now notice one thing very important. One is our beliefs are not being tested. Rather, our works are being tested. Our works that are done with that foundation that was laid for us in Jesus Christ. You see, every moment counts because we are accountable for every moment. And so, we should be ambitious in this world, my friends, but for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of this earth. For our worth will be tested. So we must shift our bank account. Ever remember that great show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You used to watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. You know, they start off kind of low, right? You get the question, you get a little bit of money. And then it keeps moving up. And Regis was the classic guy, you know? Don't you want to stop now? No, 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 you know? But then we, you know, you're getting to the last. There's no more lifelines. There's no more anything left. Sometimes I found myself shouting at the TV, Stop now! Take the money. But they would go on and on and on. See, where is our bank account at the end of the day, my friends? Are we so done with ourselves? Have we so embraced the mission and the person of Christ that our desire more than anything is for Him to be lifted up? Be ambitious for the kingdom of God. Whatever you do, whether eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. See, we have a mission worth living. We have a war worth fighting. Taking this message of peace in Christ and bringing it to the world. But let me warn you and encourage you that you and I will experience war just as he did. We were made to be peacemakers. Blessed are those, for they shall be sons of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beatitude in which you close out the beatitudes. For did you not make peace in our heart, Lord Christ, reconciling us to the world? No, to yourself. 
and to each other, believers in Christ. Lord, help us to make peace in the world by bringing your gospel. Help us to be ambitious for your kingdom. Help us, Church of the Redeemer, to take this message, the only message that has the ability to transform people's hearts, and proclaim it unabashedly for your glory. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.